Hello, and welcome to the Maximu Theater and Performance Podcast. Today, Nicole, me, and new to the podcast contributor, Linda Buckwald, talk about two immersive shows and two shows off-Broadway. Enjoy the show. Then we'll all just sort of have a chat about our feelings. You're just like my companion at Theater in the Dark. Deep breath. Oh, no. <laughs> Lots of heavy breathing over there. It wasn't her. me. <laughs> it was not you. It was funny because the minute I took my blindfold off, I was like, who is this person? Because <laughs> I want to know. I want to know who in the crowd it was. <laughs> I never just got to find out who my seatmate was. Uh, well, but we'll, we'll find right. out about this when we talk about it. Right. I know. I know. I'm jumping dark. ahead. Yeah, no. Um, but hey, it's lovely to be in the room with both of you. Welcome to Maximo. Well, welcome back to Maximo. Woo! Welcome to Maximo. Thank you. Um, why don't we introduce ourselves? Nicole, would you like to start? Sure. This is Nicole Saratori. I am the uh, former uh, producer, co-producer of Maximo, and a freelance critic and journalist. I'm Linda Buckwald, and I'm also a freelance theater critic and journalist, um, and I'm a Drama Desk nominator. And it's my first time on Maximus, so I'm excited to be here, and I've been listening to it for a long time. We're really excited to have you. And um, I'm Ben Ferber, also of Maximu, um, currently one of the co-producers, and uh, formerly of Hot Pepper Theater. General the next screen. generation Maximu, that's who you are, Ben. <laughs> Maximu, <colon>. 2.0? <laughs> I'm Rusty 1.0. <laughs> I think you're you're like 1.5, right? I mean, I was there at the beginning. <laughs> but in terms of your like reign over Maximo. What do you mean? <laughs> you define. ran Maximo for yeah, like no, I a did. year. I did, yeah, for a year. Yeah. It's a big deal. It was. <laughs> We're a big deal, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. So, Nicole, would you like to tell us a little about Theater in the Dark, which we all saw? Sure. So this is a new work from the This Is Not a Theater Company, Theater Company, and it is sort of described as a multi-sensory theater piece, which takes place entirely in the dark. Um, it was created and conceived by Aaron B. Mee, who has done other shows that we've talked about here on Maximum in the past, Fairy Play, Pool Play, um, Versailles 2015, which I wrote about in the Village Voice a number of years ago. Um, so really sort of site-specific and um, environmental, meaning the environment in which this theater happens, I think, oriented theater. And um, this is a show where you show up, you wash your hands, you put on a blindfold, or a sleep mask, rather, and you experience a show that is, um, you receive orally, a orally, <laughs> ears, <laughs> through your ears. <laughs> I was like, wait, if I'm going to have to spell that out. <laughs> which, which senses are used in the, in the consumption of this content you get four minus sight <laughs> uh, so you you are given objects to eat you are hearing text you are hearing um noise <laughs> and other creative elements and um sound that would be the word uh you are tasting things you are feeling things people are feeling you um gently not invasively and um What's the other sense? Smell. <laughs> smell. 
Thank you. Glad someone was counting down. Um, yeah, so there's actually quite a bit. And that was actually, I think, one of the things that I struggled a little bit with, with the show is that there was a tremendous amount of scents that they sprayed in the room that you consumed. And um, I'm really, really scent sensitive. And I know they, they talked, I mean, they were very conscious of food allergies and sensitivities up front. And I was like, nope, 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 not a problem, not a problem not really thinking the sort of perfumorama that I was going to be walking into, which, I mean, you know, is all creative and thoughtful and well-placed, but just for somebody who is particularly scent sensitive, um, it was really overwhelming. And I think for me, the, a version of that show that I would enjoy would be sort of an edited down version, because I think there was so much flying at me with the text and the sound and the tastes and the this and the that, that I, you know, I couldn't parse it all. And I know it was supposed to sort of wash over you and be sort of a tidal wave of things. Um, but I actually would have probably enjoyed, you know, would have enjoyed sort of spacing that out a little bit and having it been a little bit more meditative. Thoughts, folks? Yeah, I felt the same way. I thought it was a little stressful. <laughs> <laughs> um, just because they're giving you things to eat and you're in the dark. You're, yeah, in the dark. <laughs> you're trying to figure out what you have in front of you, what you're supposed to do with it, because they don't tell you always, you know, you're s <laughs> supposed to eat this, um, although they tell you up front that everything is edible. But I started um, doubting them. In the yeah. middle of the show, I was like, I don't think this is food. You're trying to poison me. Like some lizard brain function was like, nope, that's not food. Don't I, eat it. I didn't eat the, the sage leaf. I didn't either. I think that's fine. I think no one had to eat the sage leaf. I, I, there were like three sage leaves left on my table at the end of the show that were not eaten because <laughs> people thought that they were like microfiber. <laughs> <laughs> it does have a really beautiful texture. How did y'all deal with the orange, the full orange that was given to you? <laughs> I peeled it and I ate it. I peeled it. I also thought the peeling sound was actually one of the things that was sort of most amplified for me in the experience. Like it sounded like fabric ripping. Like I could hear everybody tearing into their oranges in such a like sort of crazy loud way. I was actually really self-conscious about chewing. You know, I didn't want people to hear me chewing or like you said about the gentleman sitting oh, next to me with his loud breathing. He was not at all self-conscious about that. Filling the room with it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just felt um, with the, it was, like you were saying, it was a barrage of senses and of input, even though I couldn't see anything, because I felt like, oh, now I have to taste this thing. I have to eat it fast enough before they give me something else. And, oh, I have to, like, really, really, like, breathe in this stonk that they're spraying around. And, like, oh, oh, but I have to listen to what they're telling me. And so I, I feel like it was definitely an exercise in multitasking. <laughs> <laughs> and when they got to the orange, I definitely did not do You're it like, fast my enough. hands are not going to work in this environment? I just couldn't do it fast. They gave me like two more things while I was still eating right. the orange. Yeah, that's, that's also why I was stressed because they kept giving you more things. And you're like, wait, I'm not done with this. I don't have any. And are you guys blindfold theater people or not? Because it turns out I'm a huge, like, I'm like, put me in a blindfold. Love it. Never done it. Okay. I had not done it, but I am not a blindfold theater person, a interactive theater person i am a um i love the fourth wall <laughs> theater person you're like if they could just brick up that fourth wall be even happier <laughs> uh so this really took me out of my comfort zone which is a good thing but yeah i'm not 
used to this kind of theater. <laughs> it, it did really amplify the audience experience more than I ever expected it to, having a blindfold on. Like, there was an incident at my... <laughs> <laughs> ben didn't join us. He missed our time slot. I, yes, I missed the time slot. I'm very sorry. However, it gave me a beautiful experience, which I will now share with you. Beautiful, unique to you only experience. Yes. I, well, me and the other 12 people in the room with me. <laughs> um, but especially me, because this person was next to me. They gave us um, a tiny cup of something um, pretty early on. And um, I... <laughs> very clumsily <laughs> knocked it over. <laughs> I like reached to pick it up, not realizing it would be a cup, just thinking it would be like, oh, it's like a thing that I pick up, knock it over, realize, oh, that's liquid that just fell out of it onto like the towel in front of us. Oh no, I've gotten everything wet. Oh no, I've ruined everything. I can't taste anything because it's gone. <laughs> I, this, this is it for me. It's done. And then the second that thought sort of entered my brain, the person next to me, me just started like, whisper yelling like ah shit oh fuck god oh, man oh i got it all over myself oh no ah and they <laughs> very loudly got up and i believe sprinted out of the room and <laughs> never came back he never i didn't say i never saw him again he's gone well you couldn't see anything anyway that's true well but he was there was no one next to me when, I, <laughs> when the lights came up so they they lost him because he was even more of Butterfingers than I, which I also spilled one of my beverages. I mean, you're blindfolded. <laughs> it seems like a completely like something they probably have planned for. Oh yeah, and that's why there were towels on the table. Just if I actually don't know how he spilled his on himself, but <laughs> he got the like extra advanced award, but. I actually really appreciated that experience because it did sort of tune me in to the people around me, even though I like technically wasn't supposed to be paying attention to them. I don't know. It was How special. could you not? I feel like that's actually, I honestly felt like the sound of somebody ripping their orange across the way was the point that like, I mean, under normal circumstances, I might not be able to hear somebody at a lunchroom opening up their orange peel, but like here without my sight, I was very fixated on like, oh my God, the room is full of tearing oranges. You know? <laughs> I mean, I wish Mr. Loudbreather, Manspreader next to me, wasn't so big in his noise. But, you know, maybe he wasn't. And it was, again, just sort of having given over my sight sense. He got amplified. Did you have a quiet table, Linda? <laughs> no incidents? No, nothing. I mean, when we took off our blindfolds, I could see that everyone had kind of a mess in front of them. But <laughs> 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 nothing disruptive. They, what was what were your tables like socially after the lights came up? Um, I think we all just went our separate ways. <laughs> Quickly escaped the yeah. room. <laughs> oh, it was interesting because the people at my performance, we all sort of, the three, there were three tables in the room with like five people-ish, six at them. And we all sort of looked at each other and then immediately avoided eye contact really aggressively for about two and a half minutes um, while being like, huh, that show's over. <laughs> I'm processing that. I'm processing that experience. And I can't look at anyone at this table because it's socially awkward too. <laughs> I was really fixated on like what it was that I had 
eaten or not eaten. Like the object that I really was like convinced was not food. I was still was like staring at. I was like very interested to finally get to see what I had missed. One thing that I appreciate about this show is um, I'm kind of a germaphobe, which I'm revealing a lot about myself right off the bat. But uh, they said multiple times for everyone to wash their hands since we were going to be eating. Um, and the blindfolds, they tell you to take it home so they're not reusing them. So. Yeah, I mean, I think they did work really hard to make this a very, you know, as comfortable as possible. Like, there was a guy in the line before we were going in who seemed very nervous, and one of the women spoke to him and was like, don't worry, this is, we're not, this is not a haunted house, we're not here to scare you, you know, this is, a, you know, something to sort of enjoy and experience. And I think, you know, obviously for people who don't go to a lot of theater or aren't into the blindfold theater, as I am apparently, <laughs> more theater with blindfolds, um, you know, I think it, it does have, you know, there is a lot of anxiety and a lot of reasons to sort of feel anxious. And I mean, you know, I'm not saying I wasn't at some point when, you know, I was handed an object and I was like, this is not food. Uh, you were trying to kill me. I'm not going to put this in my mouth. Resistant, which is not, you know, not the point of the show, but. And all the food is vegan and nut free and gluten free and soy free. And they mentioned that there's alcohol. So they give you the opportunity to like say, hey, I don't want alcohol, or I don't want sugar, or I have other dietary restrictions that I need to inform you of so that they can make sure that you don't have something that you shouldn't have. Right. So I think that, yeah, they are very, very conscious of that because it is supposed to be, you know, you should be trying to put aside some of those, like, earthly concerns and give yourself over to your senses. But, you know, I was like, too many, too many senses. I, I did sort of wish they, they just sort of called out, hey, if anyone needs the non-alcoholic version, say so now. And you wish there was a quiet request for that? Yes. I, but I think you could, there was room to pull them aside and say that, but I think as they, as they hone the piece, they will realize, ah, oh, yes, maybe don't make alcoholics say. <laughs> <laughs> well, they also framed it as alcohol and sugar, so people could be, you know, they give you kind of a, you know, another out there too, but you're, you're right. That's, you know, that is certainly a concern. Yeah, well, and I think they were two different modifications yeah, that's true. <laughs> um speaking though speaking of the uh this is not a spooky scary show um they are probably going to be doing a spooky scary version at the end of the month um i caught wind uh and asked at the end they were asked to do this for a halloween event and because they're making an entire version of it for that they're gonna probably do it uh the last three days of the month so keep your ears peeled for that. Yes, because this run, the Carpe Diem show, has ended technically on October 6th. But, I mean, this is a company that brings shows back in different re incarnations. And so it's not, this is not the end of it. Yes. And they're also, um, they're going to do a solstice version after the Halloween version. Yeah. But it's, it's all the same, like, evolving experiment of, like, smell, taste, touch theater. Cool. ASMR. <laughs> <laughs> Did somebody come around and touch you with like a feather? Yes. yes. Okay. <laughs> it's weird the things that are coming back to me now. <laughs> I was very shy. I, I every time someone touched me, I like, I like started up. <laughs> and I feel like the actors probably got a good laugh 
<laughs> well, I mean, I think it is hard to indicate. Like, they have to touch you in the sense of, like, they're indicating we're putting something in your hand right now. And I don't know that they could do that without, you know, touching you in some way. But they, like, they also touch, like, your hair at one point. They touch your ear at one point. I don't remember that. <laughs> Maybe just you, then. Oh, no. I got the special version. Um, I mean, they did. I they poured something on my head at some point, and I mean, people were definitely whispering in my ear. So I imagine you could get a little too close at some point and misjudge an ear distance. Oh shit! I forgot to mention the other incident that happened to me. What other incident? incident? Because I forgot about it until just now. You buried so much. It was. I was also my. This one was my fault, resolutely. But as um as an actor was very kindly sitting me down. I uh, bowed my head too far forward, and we definitely had butted each other. <laughs> so, working out the kinks still. <laughs> That's just me working out my own clumsiness. I mean, I had trouble sitting down, figuring out where the chair was, how to sit, in it, and what the distance between the table was. It took me a while. I mean, they really, yeah, you are led into the room, sort of holding onto the shoulder of the person in front of you, and then sort of, you know, guided slightly to a chair but it does sort of show you how much you depend on sight for so many things and then have to kind of adjust shall we move on to um our dear dead drug lord yes our dear dead drug lord is a co-production between wp theater and second stage theater and it's running through october 27th at wp theater that's at broadway and 76th street it's written by alexis Shear. And it's directed by Whitney White. Um, So the play takes place in Miami before the 2008 election. Um, And all the action happens in a treehouse, which is the meeting place of the Dead Leaders Club, which is a club formed by high school teenage girls. um, And they are currently studying Pablo Escobar. So there's four girls in the club. Uh, they meet at the treehouse. They're trying to communicate with Pablo Escobar. Um, so they have like seances to try and get in touch with him. And um, overall, I really like this play and I like her voice a lot. It goes in some really dark places at the end, um, which we can talk more about. But um, I didn't love uh, the end and we'll talk more about that. But um, Overall, I, I really liked it. And um, yeah, what did you think? So you didn't see it, right, Nicole? I didn't see it, no. I had an enormous amount of fun at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we'll definitely get to the end. Yeah. Um, but I think we'll we'll talk about the spoiler-free stuff for a little longer. Yeah. And then we'll 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 give y'all a skip to the next one in the time codes. Um, <laughs> it's interesting because it's a play where they they do sort of tell you there is a thing that happens, big air quotes, in the like, if you need to know more, you have to talk to the house manager who will tell you what it is, but we don't want to like tell you what this very dramatic thing that happens on stage is. <laughs> um, and in the actual show, there are two. Did you Did you catch that warning? I don't remember getting a warning it's like they give you a vague warning that something very traumatic happens on stage and then if you ask the house manager that will tell you what it is okay i know one of the house managers is i know like their whole like political thing around this internally um and 
about five minutes into the play, there is something really shocking which happens, <laughs> which is, uh, skip to the next time code if you don't want to know, um, they break a cat's neck. Oh, wow. Uh, you just, you hear the sound. They don't show anything. <laughs> they don't break an actual yeah. cat's neck, no. just to be clear. It, it sounds very realistic. <laughs> oh, my God. I just Which, I feel like whenever they give those like I will whisper in your ear what happens if you need to know warnings, I feel unprepared to know if like is this the kind of is this the th- is this one of my things or is this not one of my things? And it's such a difficult. I mean, I feel like this just generally when we talk about content warnings is such a hard thing to maneuver. Yes, but that wasn't that's not the traumatic thing. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's interesting because I was I thought it was, and I was like, oh, they were just being really like really careful about animal cruelty and I understand that and I I feel that makes sense and then the thing happened later and I was like oh this is the thing (laughs) (laughs) that yeah the first one wasn't the thing (laughs) oh shit (laughs) I thought we were (laughs) you thought you were safe so yeah did it hit you even harder then it was a well I I don't know how much to say about it I think, um, I think we can, at this point, say uh, if you don't want to be spoiled about the play, you can skip to the next time code in the show notes. Um, so should I say what Oh, the please. Thing yes. Is? No, I think we need to talk about it. Okay. Um, so there's a coat hanger abortion that happens on stage. Um, a non-consensual coat hanger yes. abortion. What? Yeah. So it is very dramatic. And um, I was not... Ex- Expecting it to go there, even though there is the um, killing the cat at the beginning, so you know that these girls can go to violent places. And they have um, to do a sacrifice for these seances that they're doing. Right, that's why they... So this is escalating. Yeah. The club. The club is escalating. Pablo yes. escalating, yes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, it is a very funny play for most of it. Um, that... It doesn't, I don't think, fully prepare you for that. I just, I'm not sure why that was necessary. Yeah, it's a good question. I don't know if I have an answer <laughs> to why it was necessary. Yeah. I mean, it just, it feels like that so much of the play is about what, um, it is about people who are simultaneously disconnected from politics in some ways, but very connected to them in the other, in other ways. Um, and I think each character has sort of a, so like one of them like is, I mean, they're all fairly privileged um, because they go to like a nice Catholic school, um, but they all have very different sort of areas where they lack privilege. And so I think like there is one who's going through a teen pregnancy. Like that is the one that it culminates in going yeah. to abortion. <laughs> um there is one who like doesn't know her father and like sort of thinks it might be Pablo Escobar. <laughs> But like that's yeah, but yeah, I think they all, all the characters have gone through some sort of trauma, like very real trauma. One of them, her father committed suicide, and um, one of them, her sister died in the pool when she was supposed to be watching her, and she wasn't, so she feels responsible for that. And I think we have this tendency with you know sort of dramas around teen characters, any any theater or art around teen characters. Um, this like weird oh protective bubble around kids when I think a lot of teens bear a lot of trauma 
and we don't talk about it and we don't make space for that and we don't acknowledge that a very adult things happen to people very early in their life. And that is one of the reasons that I did really like this play is that it does talk about those things and I am just a fan of all of these plays that have been cropping up about teen girls. Um, we've been seeing a lot of that over the past couple of years and it's something that I've always been fascinated by and I'm glad that we're giving a voice to um, like this it's a really important time of a woman's life um, and it's nice to see female playwrights also but do we have I mean is there more um, I don't know sensitivity or shock when it comes to violence against women on stage which we see far too much of <laughs> when that's not something we've been missing at all in the history of theater <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> that's why I shouldn't really need to see that here. And that's, um, I think, the end yeah, kind of left me in a... And that's why I didn't, like, come away loving it because of that. But, um, it sort of and I also felt... Of the good work yeah, that I was doing. Yeah, and I just, I felt like, because at the end she's, um, so the main... Well, not the main character, but like the head of the club, um, Pipe, is the one who uh, her sister died and she's um, talking to Pablo at the end. I guess that's another spoiler. <laughs> but there's um, an actor who actually comes and is playing Pablo Escobar. So she like sees him, um, who's not listed in the program. I think that that whole conversation, like it was a little bit on the nose. You know what I mean? Like, it's kind of spelled things out. Uh, and was this a conversation, I'm sorry, in Spanish? Um, so he is speaking in Spanish, and she's speaking in English. So, well, I'm fluent in Spanish, so I understood what was happening, but it's not translated. They um, do give you a translation along with the secret program. Oh, okay. After you've seen it. Yes. Okay. So uh, do you speak Spanish? or No. Um, so how was that? scene for you did you understand what was going on i got the gist of it yeah yeah it was fine um i i don't think i even felt the need to look at the translation because i i got what was going on in the scene did i miss anything important i don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i think i mean i liked that it was in spanish just, um because that's you know, the language that he would actually speak. And I'm glad that she didn't feel the need to put that in English. And yeah, because she's answering him in English, you kind of figure out what, what the conversation's about. But yeah, I just felt like, I don't know, I just didn't need that scene. I, I think it's a, it, it is a trend of, and we're going to talk about this more later, <laughs> but the trend of um, naturalistic plays Written, the plays that are written naturalistically by writers who can write things in a fantastical manner in order to do their play at mainstream theaters, but who sort of ended in a fantastical manner to, to give the audience something. And I think there are versions where that's very successful, which we'll talk about later. <laughs> <laughs> and there are versions where it can get a little confusing or strange or give you things that are very different from the rest of the play in a way that 
is a tonal shock. And this certainly is a tonal shock when yeah. like they actually do a seance that actually summons Pablo Escobar <laughs> <laughs> and like the ghost of this person's dead sister. Like that is yeah. a tonal shock and not something you would necessarily expect walking in, not something you would really expect right before it happens. Um, and something that the sheer act of it happening, I think is the exclamation point of why it's on stage. But to your point, which doesn't necessarily conclude the narrative in any way. Yeah. There were a lot of things that I really liked about this production. One of them that uh, we didn't talk about yet. Um, there is a dance sequence. Um, and I, in general, love <laughs> dance sequences in straight plays. Um, so there is a dance that they're practicing for the school talent show, um, which is, as I mentioned before, one of the characters, her father died. So it's in dedication to her father. And they're rehearsing this dance scene. Well, it's just such, it's such a bullshit school dance with like meaning. It's funny because they all, uh, it's, if you know like high school dance moves, you can imagine this dance. (laughs) (laughs) And they like name the moves things that are like sort of evocative of what they represent, but not really. (laughs) And there are these four people doing this sort of interpretive dance uh, and they're very enthusiastic about it and it's kind of nonsense and it's very, very, very fun to watch. And they're like all very good. It's a, sort of the committed, committed to something that they feel very, very strongly, but you as the outside audience are watching and experiencing the parody of that or. Yes. You know, yeah. Yes. I mean, because it is like, if anyone has seen the, and if you haven't seen this, you have to find it. It was on Twitter a couple of weeks ago. Um, but like there was a school that did like a nine 11 Memorial dance. Oh God. <laughs> I did not. See I don't want to see that. If you can imagine what a dance like that would be right. done by teens who didn't experience uh, being alive during that event. Um, you can imagine what this dance is like. <laughs> They're both very good. Any stray thoughts before we move on? I also thought that cast was really strong. There was um, Alyssa May Gold plays Zoom, who is the pregnant character. Um, she's kind of the comic relief for a lot of it, and then this really horrible thing happens to her, but I thought she was really strong. I mean, the whole cast was great. I don't know if anyone stood out to you. Yeah, she definitely stood out to me. Who played... Um Rebecca Jimenez, um, the one who thinks that she's the daughter of Pablo Escobar. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Rebecca Jimenez, um, her character's name is Kit, and she's she's new to the group. And has and, very strong lesbian energy. And yeah. Like, <laughs> just a way that I'm glad to see on stage. <laughs> yeah, and that's something we didn't even talk about is her relationship with Pipe, who is... Closeted. A Cuban Republican. <laughs> yes. <laughs> She's so, not a Republican. That's the, the thing that she constantly says. So there's yeah. a lot of but promise her, here, but we're not quite sure about whether the ending is justified. Right. But I definitely want to see more from this playwright. Oh, totally. Yeah. I think I think we will. I hope we will. We should. <laughs> well, Ben, you have all the power. If people don't know this, Ben can make shows happen. So. I can make shows happen. Are, are we? Are we good? Sure. Yeah. Speaking of shows that I made happen <laughs> directly, that are directly because of me. No, they have nothing to do with me. Uh, 
<laughs> my my one of my favorite playwrights um, who did one of my favorite shows of last year, um, Plano uh, by Will Arbery, um, has done another show at this time at Playwrights Horizons called Heroes of the Fourth Turning. Um, this one directed by uh, Danya Tamor, and it is a hoot. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's interesting because I went into this show obsessed with Plano as a true, true lover of Plano, but also knowing that Playwrights Horizons does this thing <laughs> where... Were they ruined playwrights? Well, I would... <laughs> yes. That's a... Sorry, that is, did I steal your line? <laughs> uh, no, it's not. It's not what I would have said, but it is true. Um, what I would say is that Playwrights Horizons always picks excellent writers and then does their worst play. <laughs> Who who are you thinking about? Every <laughs> play. <laughs> and so so I do think that like sometimes the shows of Players Horizons are excellent because they just pick writers who don't do bad plays. <laughs> and then sometimes they're terrible because they pick writers who are great who have done a bad play. However, in this instance, fortunately the play is good. <laughs> so the exception was, to the rule. Well, and I, I think They've been it's, on a streak. Yes. Well, and I only know two of Will Arbery's plays, but they're both good. <laughs> and so what Heroes of the Fourth Turning is, it's, if you saw Plano, you know that that is a completely non-realistic play. It is it, in a world where people are cursed and the rules of the curse define what is happening in the play. However, this is almost completely naturalistic for most of it. Uh, <laughs> And what it is, is it is um, four friends are hanging out uh, in Montana, in the middle of nowhere, Montana, where their college was, um, because they've come back for the inauguration of the college's new president, who is one of their former professors, who is sort of a conservative scholar and well-known figure in that world. And it is the four of them hanging out in one of their backyards, who, uh, one guy who still lives there and works at the school, basically waiting for this president to come so that they can, you know, schmooze with her <laughs> because she's a big deal and they admire her and maybe want jobs from her and want book recommendations for, you know, book, book intros from her, things like that. We sort of learn, if you don't know, going into the show that all of these characters are very, very diehard right-wing people. This school itself is sort of a right-wing institution that essentially exists to indoctrinate people into the conservative movement, which is also why it's in the middle of nowhere, Montana, is because uh, they are sort of... It's it's sort of coded as a like oh yes we are like a bastion away from cosmopolitan life, um, and there are some implications that it is a place that would be like oh yeah they'll retreat there with their guns and fight a war from there, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> um, which becomes explicit later, maybe. <laughs> While this is all happening, um, the person who owns the house. Uh, there are occasionally very, very loud noises that sort of grate on everyone for about 30 seconds and you can't hear anything because the generator is malfunctioning. Maybe. <laughs> Which leads to some other things. So that is what this show is about. And they're Catholic, right? Can I... Oh, yes. Sorry. Because yes. I feel like that for me is sort of the, the crux of this piece is that they are not only 
um, believers in conservatism, but it is born of their Catholic belief system. And so that is sort of, I assume, sort of the starting place for a lot of it, which then has expanded into a political conservatism um, growing out of their faith. And I think for me, one of the things, and certainly in Plano, those were all, there were also characters there deeply of faith. And I think what I really, really enjoy with Will Arbery's work between these two plays is his real love and respect for the characters he writes because even if they are espousing things that you would absolutely you know disagree with he writes them respectfully and fully from my you know to my eyes and for me this was like watching like my catholic relatives maybe without like the wilderness vibe <laughs> um and because we're uniquely within their universe they're not fighting with the libs, essentially. They're fighting with each other. And so we see different gradations of conservatism and the kind of different threads historically and how that has kind of wend its way through each of these four people and their professor. When I think in particular, um, Zoe Winters plays uh, a character named Teresa, who we sort of come to learn. Uh, she, she lives in Brooklyn, and she is uh, very, very type A. She does cocaine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and um, we sort of come to learn from the things that she's talking about and the things that she's working on is that she is a huge fan of Steve Bannon, and she is a very like alt-right positive conservative she herself is sort of maybe a burgeoning alt-right figure given what we hear about um her blog <laughs> um and a lot of the play is conflict between her who sort of tends she tends to be the farthest right and the most extremist out of everyone there and the loudest and the loudest <laughs> and the others who are less that, who are trying to be more respectable or more traditional. And a lot of it is a fight between, oh, well, shouldn't we just go to the mat? And, oh, well, we have to, we have to be moral. Our whole thing is morals, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I, I, I feel like he found a group of characters who each, like, possess some kind of pain and each of them are expressing it in sort of the sort of coping with that in very, very different ways. And so we are seeing like I think it is easy in New York sometimes to see conservatives as a monolith. And I think he worked really, really hard to sort of crack that for us. But I also like for me, like one of the things I find frustrating sometimes is that in New York, it's much easier for people to talk about their therapist than it is to talk about their faith. And I think I think he made a play that he doesn't expect people to laugh at these characters. I felt like the audience sometimes maybe wanted to laugh more than he'd written for them to be laughed at. Um, I mean, certainly Zoe Winters is a fantastically comedic performance and she is very good and, you know, there are points where we are supposed to be laughing. But um, I don't think it fall. I, I feel like he is trying very, very hard to resist the temptation to just make fun of these people. Oh, I think all of the things they say are true to the things that people with these beliefs would say. They are not cartoonish. And I mean, just, just yes. to your point, there is no point at which you are supposed to laugh at their beliefs. There are some points where certain audience members do, but that is not right. It's not built in to the writing. And I will say, uh, for the first half hour to hour of this play, I 
despised these people, not in a way that was making me dislike the play, but in a way that I just thought, wow, I just hate all of these characters on stage. <laughs> and I, I, I hope they die. <laughs> <laughs> um, and by the end of it, um, I still did hate them and hope they would die, but I also <laughs> loved them <laughs> because I understood who they were, what they were personally going through. Um, and some of the reasons that they held the beliefs that they were talking about. Yeah, like these are people that I would never want to have a conversation with or spend time with and like don't really have the opportunity to based on, you know, the people that I associate with or <laughs> based on your good choices. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I did like getting to, you know, spend time with these people that I wouldn't normally uh, spend time with and hear their points of view. But um, I did grow to care about them and especially um, Zoe Winter's character who is the most extreme, uh, the one who I like hated the most. Everything that she was saying <laughs> was terrible, but I also felt really sorry for her. Um, she is the one who she's was like the protege of um, the, uh, the woman who's becoming the um, president. It's of a Gina played by Michelle Pock. Yes. Um, and so she's she was her protege, and she's the one who's most excited to talk to her, and is treated very harshly by her because she doesn't agree with a lot of these extreme viewpoints that she has. Um, and even though I also <laughs> did not agree with her, it was sad to see how she treated her. I was gonna say it reminded me of you know going to like a reunion and seeing your old teachers and realizing they have this perception of you from when you know like a high school reunion so you know what who I was in high school versus who I am now but then like, you walk into that space with that person and somehow you become the teenager again to them and I don't know I felt like this play did a really nice job of bringing out the sort of inner and I guess these are college students but sort of like letting us see a little bit of who they were then in who they are now and how much they think there's distance between those two things but might not quite actually be well, and yeah, and I think Zoe Winters' character is sort of becoming what her professor, what she thinks her professor wanted her to become. Right. And sort of becoming like mini, mini her or maybe real life her. And then realizing like, oh, we actually are completely different. <laughs> well, I mean, it, that, that particular argument, the argument between the two of them feels like, I mean, it feels like Sandra Day O'Connor arguing with Steve Bannon. <laughs> two people who within that movement are pretty opposite, but who at the same time are of the same camp and these two characters love each other. Did Sandra yeah. Day O'Connor love Steve Bannon? I don't know, probably. <laughs> probably not. I don't know. <laughs> I don't think she would have invited him over to dinner, but... I think we should also talk about the staging a little bit because I think the um, for much of it, it is nearly in darkness. Yes, I was like... speaking of Theater in the Dark. <laughs> right, right. And I actually saw this right after Theater in the Dark, oh, right. so I kept thinking... Oh. It Am is I really... having a stroke? <laughs> <laughs> I'm already practically blind. Like, I am legally blind in one eye, so I already have trouble seeing. So, yes, I did not see a lot. Last night. Either. If you get to pick your seat, I would recommend you pick one in the middle to the right side of the audience because the le literally no one goes ever beyond like three quarters stage right, <laughs> <laughs> which 
is a is a directorial choice that I didn't like. Um, well, I, I mean, I don't know. I thought like at least the lighting choice was about sort of forcing us in some ways to come out of the dark, but like to to adjust to this landscape, like sort of forcing the audience's eyes to adjust, to force us physically to give over to this space, which is, I mean, it's sort of an aggressive choice to get the audience part of the way on this journey. So you're already kind of like unsettled physically um, because you are being sort of, you know, forced to squint and peer and wonder what it is I'm seeing. And I don't know, I really kind of, I mean, I like sometimes really aggressive choices. <laughs> <laughs> and also it takes place in the middle of Wyoming, so it should be really dark. <laughs> yeah, right, there's no noise. There's what, only light pollution. Um, the porch light. And occasionally no gunshots in the background. Yes. <laughs> like hunting. Oh, and the, yeah, and there's a really loud gunshot at the beginning and it's very silent for a lot of the beginning which I liked um but then you know there's a gunshot coming <laughs> and you don't know exactly when it's gonna happen and it's a little startling and well and it's like a real blank <laughs> <laughs> a gun was fired <laughs> um so the show runs through October 27th unless it extends. Tickets start at 49, but if you're under 35, you can get them for 25 with that membership program. And you should absolutely see it because I think it's one of the best things I've seen this fall. I know, I feel like we, we've sort of talked around so many pieces of it, but I, I, it is for me a very, it's a lingerer of a show. Like it, it definitely like kind of like creeps into you and then you have to kind of, you know, reconcile that and live with it for a bit. So, um, yeah, no, it's definitely, I'm so glad Will Arbery keeps making weird shit. Yeah, I think he's one of those writers who, for me, if he does a show, I just gotta go see it. Yeah. Will Arbery's doing a show? Great, I'll be there. Yeah, he's sort of become mandatory very quickly. It's one of the good ones. (laughs) (laughs) I hope he's a good person and he's not a terrible person. (laughs) I met him, I like him, he's great. He follows me on Twitter. I totally appreciate it, but you know, like. <laughs> Will Arbery killed my mom. No, my mom's fine. She, he killed her mom, and you're still recommending his play. I mean, that's really, a, you know, that says something. <laughs> so somehow I got this invite in my email box, and I was like, hey, Ben, let's go see this immersive show at The Cell in Chelsea, where I've never been. And, um, you know, I see there's an association here. It's a collaboration between The Cell, Mason's Holding, and Sister Sylvester, a company that I'm a big fan of. I was like, this could be interesting. Um, so we went to see the show called Found, um, which runs through October 31st at The Cell. And it's essentially a, a gallery installation of this artist, um, Mikhail Glass's work. But it is also <laughs> so fucking weird. <laughs> and I'm really glad I didn't go by myself. <laughs> I was so glad to be with you. <laughs> sort of safety in numbers. Um, I feel like, you know, in terms of content warnings, if you have a thing about dolls, don't go see the show. A lot of haunted dolls. There are oh, a lot I'm of really haunted dolls. I'm really glad I did not see the show. <laughs> Um, Are we doing Haunted Doll Watch on Maximum? 
<laughs> inadvertently. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, so it takes up four floors of the cell. Um, it is not an accessible venue, so you do have to climb stairs if you are um, going to go see the full experience of the show. It um, There are different entry times. It's sort of every 30 minutes in the evening between 6 and 9. Um, nice. And they sort of guide you through this experience. So it is not a free-for-all, but um, you sort of come in, gather on the first floor of this gallery. You're offered a um, crafted cocktail made from the DNA of the dolls. I didn't, uh. um, I didn't find that out until you told me later. Because I think it, they didn't tell us that, right? They told you in the like post-show thing. Yeah. I mean, it was in, yeah, it was in the press materials, but they definitely didn't mention it as you were imbibing doll DNA. <laughs> what what did they tell you it was in the show? They, what did they even call it? So they, I think they said, if you want a cup of tea. And then the person at the front was very, was like, they're cocktails, it's alcohol, you can go have alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> there are definitely people in character and not in character. Yeah. And that was a theme throughout the night was that there were some people who were just like helpful and nice and not in character. And there were people who were really cool and spooky and Deeply character. in character. <laughs> um, so you get your little tiny weird cocktail and then you are led through and it's sort of organized so you were sort of dropped off in certain rooms and then picked up again and sort of moved to the next station um some of that flow probably needs to be worked out a little bit um we, we did a lot of waiting yeah and we ended up we started it, it they started us with the artist um in his space to sort of introduce like his work because if you're not familiar with this visual artist's work then some of this would be completely out of context and so he tries to provide a little sort of history and context to how he got into weird fucking dolls and it's a very interesting story and he is sort of a kooky guy and it you know sort of sets an interesting tone for this kind of weird fun house experience and then you know context for why every you know why so many of the rooms are covered in doll parts um and damn was he charming <laughs> i loved spending time with him i know i think we got rushed away from him and we were just like no can we just stay here in this room full of paint fumes where we're definitely getting high i want to <laughs> hear more about him like he did like a thing with a projector which was which we like didn't have enough time to do but it no, was cool i know i turned into a doll briefly I know that would have it would have been nice if we got to spend more time with him. You know, he did admit to us. He said, you know, they used to put me at the end, um, but because I'm not an actor, uh, it was they were just like, oh, it's shitty, you suck. <laughs> so they put me at the beginning because uh, I suck, <laughs> and I was like, no, you're so charming. <laughs> and it was actually great to have him as uh, explanation because then we had the context of who this artist was, who like I didn't know who he was, right. and then I got to really experience his art. <laughs> Right. And I think, you know, um, and his work is so different in each of the rooms. There were some very different styles. I mean, you go into one room and there are trash baby dolls that are like Renaissance cherubs coming out of like a fluffy cloud ceiling and a weird woman in, you know, who forces you to hold a doll and commune with it. Um, and then there's a whole other room where he is crafted kind of pop art objects out of wood but they're made to look like they're card like cardboard boxes but sculpted out of wood and other objects like I mean it's just it's very sort of hard to explain um but like sort of varying styles and then there are like devil mangoes everywhere which I don't understand but they're cool the whole gimmick of that wood room was interesting because there was a performer in there who is like a cockney like box like, she was a box. Oh, okay. Yeah, like, she was wearing a box. <laughs> you got she... a better experience with her. I feel like she rushed me through because she spent too much time with you. 
fair. <laughs> <laughs> but the, her whole shtick is like, you want to touch something? You want to touch the art? You want to touch the art? Do you think you're allowed to touch the art? Like, And she's basically like trying to get you to bribe her so that you can touch the art. And then if you bribe her, which I think probably involves telling her a joke, which is what she made me do, and I told her, nah, you couldn't even come up with one. (laughs) Um, And then you get to touch it, and you realize, oh, this is made of actual wood, not cardboard, because it looks like an actual cardboard box, and it's not a cardboard box. Right. Because it's so realistic. (laughs) Um, So I don't know. I mean, it felt like it wasn't, uh, I feel like if you treat it as if it's kind of an, it's installation art come to life rather than theater, it functions sort of structurally better in your head. Because I think if you're trying to kind of connect dots between these rooms, you will not. Although my favorite was the swing. There is, I mean, so if you're talking about kind of like childhood and nostalgia and dolls and sort of the past and objects. I mean, you know, if you sort of love some of the doll talk in Annie Baker's John, you know, sort of how dolls are imbued with things in your life and your experience and all of this stuff. I mean, there's a lot of that to sort of, you know, appreciate in what you're seeing within his work. Um, But then there is, uh, at least for us, the final scene we were taken to was this swing, which is like a very sort of adult version of a swing. which I just loved. Like it's it, not a sex swing. It's not a sex swing, but like it's. I was like, you, you couldn't. I mean, it is not a childhood. You know. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. But the sensation <laughs> of swinging is childhood. What you visualize is not for children. Yes, and it's a. Oh yeah, sorry. You might have seen more than I did. Oh okay. This was the was the lady above the thing when you were swinging? Yes. She was not above the thing when I was swinging. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah. I guess it is sort of a sex swing. Yeah, it's a little bit of a sex swing. <laughs> <laughs> but it is a gorgeous, like, gigantic, like, piece of art. It's incredible. You, you absolutely in have the to, center like, of. yeah. Like, that was, for me, the sort of highlight, and I'm sad it was, like, at the end, and we couldn't just hang out. I mean, not the, it's, I'm making this sound really creepy. I'm like, I just wanted to spend all the time in the sex swing. But, <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, like, for me, that was the sort of strongest piece and a really fun, you know, it was a fun thing to physically experience. Yes. No, this just gets dirtier, everything I say. Maybe yeah. I should have seen this. <laughs> <laughs> Devil mangoes, I'm telling you. I did, like, the giant toy room. Where we like, Nicole and I were led into a room where we got to like take giant blocks and like move them along giant pipes that were like bendy and curvy. It's and like a child's toy. I mean, it's like a blown up version of that kid's toy. I don't know. You, I, I have no idea what it's called. Okay. Yeah. I don't know what it's called either, but it's, I mean, it is a child's toy and it is blown up to a room size version of that with light up blocks that you can push along essentially a track. It's like a curly abacus. Yeah. That's a good description. Um, and there was a child playing there who wouldn't get out of the fucking way. They were having so much fun. Like, clearly the mom had tried to take the kid out of that room and get bring her somewhere else, and she, like, came back. So, like, <laughs> we were trying to play with the blocks, and then the kid was in the way, and we didn't want to hit her with the blocks, and so it was a whole thing. You really got to throw those blocks. I mean, they, but they would also land with quite a lot of force, and we did not actually want to bonk a small child on the head. I already got bonked on the head once for this show. <laughs> I did bring the secret The secret that I unlocked. Oh, yeah. Secret. Ben so, got a very special... Like, you do get a unique experiences at these immersive shows. I'm, you can, well, you can hear in my microphone that I'm pulling out a giant piece of paper. 
there was a room where a like dude was like banging on a window, like come help me, help me, help me, and you could like choose to help him or not. Um, and I apparently chose to not to help. help. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I tried, and then he held the door shut, so I was like, all right, well, fuck you. <laughs> and I like really tried to bust this dude out. I was like, oh no, we're gonna break this, <laughs> like. You're coming with me. We're just running. Ben was committed to liberation. (laughs) I thought it was an option. (laughs) And he basically was like, no, I'm too scared. I'm too scared. And that was like the whole, the whole interaction that you had with this person. And then, um, (laughs) when I, when I clearly had completely broken him, he had what I, what I assume must be, um, must be part of this show. He said, he completely dropped character. I said, I'm a famous rapper. Please take this. And then handed me a folded up piece of paper with a poem on it, (laughs) which is cool. I mean, I committed to this. Like I pretty much was willing to give the creepy doll lady my DNA. I gave her my fingerprints. I mean, I yes and the shit out of this show because there's so much one-on-one interaction where they're like, do you want to do this? Do you want to do that? And I'm like, okay, yes, 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 whatever. Sure. You want a sample of my hair? Let me see if I can pull something out of my head for you. I mean, I was very committed, but I was not committed to rescue the weird guy on the balcony. Pulled your hair out? I tried. I wasn't even asked to pull my hair. I have out. a lot of hair. It wasn't gonna I wasn't gonna miss it. <laughs> that seems like a lot to ask someone. Well, she was like, Can you find one with a root? It's <laughs> like, oh my god, this is really hold on, let me see. <laughs> I really tried to commit. <laughs> oh, you got an even weirder secret than I did. I mean, everybody gets a unique experience in one on one theater. <laughs> it's always good. I love the secrets though. It's always fun to find a secret. To find like, oh, yeah, I'm the person who got this one. I feel like I was very supportive of the actress in the creepy dark basement. Yes. Yeah. That was a sad piece. <laughs> I wasn't quite sure what that was about. It was uh, so that we were brought down to the basement, a bunch of us, like six of us. Um, and then one of the actors like was in character and then completely broke character, like ripped her clothes off, like put a robe on and was like, all right, it's closing night, everyone. It's closing night. The show's done really glad the show's done it's it's been a lot and I called her a triumph yeah and we were doing a closing night toast <laughs> with this actor as if we were actors in this show <laughs> and then she was just like, like well what are you all doing next does anyone have any anyone book anything I haven't booked anything <laughs> it was so sad I know. most of the scenes were one-on-one but that was sort of a group effort and I feel like the other people were not pulling their weight as much as I was <laughs> You really did. <laughs> she seemed genuinely moved by my compliments. Well, I was kind of moved by that scene. It, it, it did. I have had conversations on closing nights like that where everyone sort of thinks, oh, well, that show was difficult and, and I don't have anything else to do. I'm now free forever. I'm unemployed for the rest of my life until I get a job. I just wasn't sure how it tied into Mikkel Glass's other art. That's a good question. I don't know the answer. <laughs> and I should mention that Sister Sylvester is going to be part of the show for three performances. So I don't think they were part of the show that we saw on the press nights that we went. But they will be performing part on uh, October 24th, 26th, and 31st. So that another Halloween activity for folks. Spooky. We got to go back. I mean, I'm sorry. I'm almost tempted. <laughs> ben is up for it. <laughs> it's because the doll DNA is calling to you. It's like, come back to us, Ben. 
you're part of us now. What What did I email you when you you emailed me saying, Ben, did you know that you drank Dahl DNA? And I was like, oh, fuck. Oh, shit. I'm trying to get to a Dahl. Oh, no. Yes, that's pretty much what you emailed me, I think. And then I became plastic. Boop, 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 boop. It's a haunted doll watch. Um. <laughs> I'm going to Google doll DNA and see <laughs> <laughs> what will really happen to you. Um, well, it's been wonderful talking with y'all. Um, what are y'all seeing that uh, is exciting coming up? In the next well, the bit. next show I'm seeing is Little Shop of Horrors, which I'm really excited about, starring Jonathan Groff and Christian Borrell. Um, I also really wish I could see the Little Shop in L.A. right now, but this one should be good, too. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot coming up um, this month that I'm looking forward to. Soft Power, which I saw in L.A. and I loved, so I'm really excited to see that again at the public and see... If they've made any changes, um, not that it needs to, but you know, just to see what shape it's in now. Um, uh, Scotland, PA, new musical at Roundabout sounds really interesting, so I hope that's good. I'm really looking forward to seeing Hamnet by Dead Center at BAM at the end of this month. Um, Dead Center was here quite a few years ago with a piece called Lippy, which was really twisted and weird and beautifully done. And um, they're an experimental company that hasn't been back since. So um, really keen. It's about essentially uh, William Shakespeare's son, Hamnet. um, And it's performed by a child in part and um, sort of on the cusp of... uh, I think as sort of, Ham- well, it's before he dies, obviously, before Hamnet dies, because spoiler, William Shakespeare's son Hamnet died, and then his dad went off to write Hamlet, and, you know, blah, 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 blah. So I think it is a little bit about sort of mixing those things, and um, I don't know, it got rave reviews in the Europe, so I'm very excited for that coming up, and then I'm seeing Rose Tattoo and The Sound Inside. I'm also seeing those. Um, I'm seeing Is This a Room Real Soon this week. Um, I'm so excited to see it again. I'm bringing my friend who's not an experimental theater person. I'm really <laughs> excited to see what he thinks about it. <laughs> um, I'm seeing the new Masculinities Festival uh, next Saturday, um, which I talked about on the last episode and I'm excited for. It's going to be it's gonna be good. It's going to be a good one. Going apple picking. Oh, nice. Going to go see my brother, my brother, and me live. <laughs> Are you bicycling to apple picking? Um, well, now I might. <laughs> I'm not going to force you to do that. <laughs> <laughs> there are less apples you can bring back. So, you know, like. <laughs> well, thanks, y'all. I'm going to turn off the recording. Thank you so much for joining us for today's episode of the Maximu Theater and Performance Podcast. If you have questions, comments, or opinions that differ from ours, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Twitter at Maximu. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we have merch. You can buy coffee mugs, tote bags, and stickers with your favorite Maximu-isms on them. You can find them all on the store at Maximu.com. All proceeds go to helping the podcast improve our sound quality. See you again soon.